This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann. Today's episode... Today's episode is on slow money, with Nancy Thelman as the guest and David Bilbrey returning for the host's chair. During their conversation today, Nancy and David explore this idea of what slow money is and the impact that it's having on local communities, farmers, and other entrepreneurs when we engage in human-scale capital by building relationships and working directly with one another in order to turn ideas into reality. Let's go ahead and get started with Nancy and David, and I'll join you again afterwards. Hi, this is David Bilbrey with EcoThinkIt.com, and I'm here today with Nancy Thelman, the leader of the Slow Money Northeast Kansas uh, movement. Uh, she started this network in 2014, which was, has catalyzed a little over $500,000 in slow money loans in this region. This is part of the slow money movement, which since 2009 has catalyzed over $50 million to more than 450 small enterprises that are committed to creating sustainable agriculture that is locally or regionally connected to the food system. Connecting people with money to people with small farms and food enterprises that care about the soil. Essentially, investing as if soil mattered. Welcome, Nancy. Hey, David. Thanks so much for uh, giving me a chance to talk about slow money. One of the things that uh, I like about you is you're an implementer and a doer. Um, You're also the county commissioner for Douglas County. And so what is it about being involved in local politics you think is important? It's such a privilege to get to uh, be in public service. And I know that sounds cheesy, but in reality, it's one of the most productive things a person can do as long as they have a good local government system behind them. You know, these days, it's really, uh, there's so much going on that so many folks have opinions about. I know I did about 10 years ago when I started paying attention to local politics. And um, what I found to be most, both enjoyable and frankly, most powerful was to take those opinions and gather constituents around them and fortunately get elected and and then be in a position to help form policy, help create uh, revenue, help help make things happen. It's, um, you know, it's a remarkably, frankly, powerful thing to be able to to have a vote and to make change in a community. The county commission is just three people representing 115,000 people in Douglas County. So, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of responsibility, but we have uh, we have a great local government here and, and I have great colleagues and I'm proud of what we're getting to do so far. So politics still matters even in 2016 when a lot of people are disillusioned with politicians on the national level. I have to say that uh, I'm not sure I would be willing to do politics beyond the local level because it seems like it's difficult to get much done in the state or, or or even nationally. But boy, at the local level, if you can, you know, if you have a strong message, if you have engaged citizens, if you have time and energy, wow, you can do a lot. And it's been particularly true in my county, Douglas County. We've done a lot around um, the food, local food system and regional uh, work in, in food and agriculture. And so it's... Um, it's not nearly as dreary as people think. Uh, local politics is pretty wonderful. How long have you been involved in local politics? I've been a county commissioner for, I'm finishing up my eighth year, so that's two terms. And I am currently running to be reelected for the second district in Douglas County. So tell us about your discovery of the slow money movement. I, uh, well, I have to say the my fascination with it started out of, We moved to a farm, um, my family and I, about 15 years ago. So I suddenly was a city person kind of engrossed with farm interests. And it caught my eye one day that uh, there was an organization called Slow Money. They were going to have a national gathering in Boulder, Colorado, where the uh, headquarters are. And I went to that gathering because... It was, uh, from what I could see, it was an organization that was dedicated not just to elevating small farms and sustainable agriculture, but um, making a connection between those people and people who uh, love what they're doing and could 
you know, kind of come create a full circle of interest with um, people who who love and appreciate local food, local farming, local economy. Uh, some of them doing the hard work of, you know, working the soil and some of them doing hard work that gives them enough money that they're willing and able to invest in in the farmers and ranchers out there. So I thought it was fascinating that this was an organization that could talk about farming, sustainable agriculture, and talk about um, slow money loans and investing all in the same breath with um you know, really different circles of people mixing it up in such a beautiful way, very egalitarian, very caring, very passionate. I, I just came away a changed person after that gathering. So I guess we should step back one step and say, tell us what is the slow money movement for those who don't know? Oh, that would be a good, <laughs> that would be good. Yeah. No, slow money is a national movement and it was started by a fellow named Woody Tash Back in 2009, he is the chairman and founder of Slow Money. He has had a lifetime of uh, very high-level high work in finance and investment, um, philanthropy, and, and kind of moving in circles of well, well-heeled people. And he had a, a revelation that he thought uh, he could put his concern for our planet, our climate, our soil um, really serious concern about how the world is doing and marry that concern with his ability to help people invest their dollars in places that could make a difference. So the idea behind Slow Money is ask people or businesses, corporations, but I think it's mostly individuals, um, ask them to slow their money down take some of their very, very fast-moving investments, those that are in the stock market or almost kind of anonymous uh, money moving around, in nanos- take some of that money out of that fast system, uh, bring it closer to home, uh, slow it down to kind of to, to human scale, human time, and encircle it with relationships. Um, help Slow money helps connect Folks who are able to make investments through slow money loans, which are anything from zero to one or two or three percent interest loans with friendly terms. Uh, It connects those folks to folks who are maybe young farmers or people in ranching who need to expand their herd or people who need to buy a piece of equipment to expand their farm business or, or someone who's opening a bakery and needs a piece of equipment who might not be able to get a a traditional loan from a bank, but certainly could be connected to a neighbor or someone in the community, someone close to home who who would want to support them and help them out with an investment or a loan. So that's the basic premise. It's friendly loans on, on friendly terms between a borrower and a lender that have a solid relationship, have done their due diligence, and are ready to move forward. So what's important about there being a relationship between the borrower and the lender? For one thing, it's it's fiscally important. This is a very organic kind of grassroots way of investing. We're not doing anything to cross the line of, of uh, securities regulations. Our organization, our network is specifically chosen not to be an investment club. So we are... Our network has specifically said that what we do is just catalyze relationships. We, we create the possibility for people to meet. And that means that we're not giving people investment advice. We're not endorsing a farm as a good investment or a rancher as a sure fire profit maker. We're, we're finding people who have some kind of need on their, in their business or in their farm or ranch and we're connecting them with someone who has expressed an interest in in connecting with the local food system and possibly helping folks out with their money. So because we don't give financial advice, we just make the connection. We have to ask the borrower and the lender to make sure that they know each other and have a trusting relationship and do their own due diligence on the wisdom of making the loan and, and the terms. It's, it won't work unless the people can trust each other. 
And that's part of the beauty of it because it becomes um, not just money changing hands. It's it's uh, building relationships and uh, really enriching both parties. The the farmer gets the capital they need and the investor gets the relationship they crave and a connection to agriculture that they wouldn't otherwise have. And so many folks have a heart for it now. They really do want to know their farmer, know where their food comes from, uh, and know where their money's going. It's a visible and tangible uh, way for them to help folks out in their own community. And that's uh, sometimes it happens pretty quickly. Sometimes there's weeks or months or years of relationship building. But most of the time when it happens, the loans are are good and the and the people the the payoff is good. The few of these loans, at least in our network, few of them, in fact, none of them have failed at this point. That's very different from the conventional banking system. And you know, it's interesting because there's these there's a consideration for multiple forms of capital there. It's not just the person has money, wants to get a big return on it, and the other person needs money and has to do something. There's the relationship, there is the concern for building this locally resilient grouping of, of farmers and a locally resilient food system. So it is a in some ways going back to maybe earlier days of of banking thinking of like it's a wonderful life where the banker knew everybody in town that was borrowing but combining it with the modern you know ability to communicate and connect with people so slow money is much more of a connecting and networking organization than a bank right slow money is is not a bank as i said in in our case our network decided specifically not to be an investment club because that would mean that in order to to participate in slow money, you'd have to have a certain financial capacity. You'd have to be able to put in five or ten or twenty thousand dollars or whatever in in a pool of money. And we knew um, that that would mean that some people wouldn't be able to participate. So we opted just to be a network of of relationship, basically. And that's been a wonderful thing. It's kept our group um, diverse. It's kept us grounded and humble and um but at the same time we have uh we do have folks who who have been able to make loans some of them have been small and some have been very substantial and we're our meetings are always open to the public we we try and grow our numbers every time we meet and yeah it's it's been it's been a wonderful experience there are other slow money groups who are investment clubs and they do uh, have more of a kind of a strict financial uh, guide guide that they that they live by but that's the beautiful thing about the slow money organization it, it, it is really more about the movement than about creating regulations, membership, dues, um, bylaws to adhere to, or, you know, we have principles that we live by, and mostly that's to, you know, to grow, you know, to grow the world of sustainable agriculture and soil fertility and and person-to-person relationship around local food and local economy. And outside of Sticking to those principles, the slow money principles, we're really free to grow our network in the way that we know our region will respond. So it's there's a nice guide to go by, but there's also a lot of, uh, of room to to customize this movement for our for the Midwest in our case. So you went to this event in Boulder, and what was the year? That was back in 2013. 2013, okay. And then how long was it from event to starting Slow Money Northeast Kansas? It took us a little while. Um, we, a few, there were a few folks, none of us knew each other, but um, there was probably half a dozen folks who were at that Boulder event from the Kansas City area and um, from Lawrence. And we all knew, we, we came home knowing that we wanted to start a network here, but it took a a good solid year or so for us to swing around and actually get one started. And, and that the, um, the impetus for that was when Woody Tash um, came to um, Lawrence and spoke at a Mother Earth News Fair. And he knew that there were some of us out in the audience who were feeling challenged to start a slow money network. So he, he kind of put us to task uh, in that moment, called us up, had us share our names and numbers and and 
uh, we were off and running after that. So, and that's, I have to say, that's a wonderful thing about Slow Money. Its founder, Woody, is um, he's so um, accessible. He's so interested in what everybody's doing. And this this is not just a national organization. It's really moved internationally now. But he's very, very interested and very excited to see what different parts of the world are doing. And I think he's particularly interested in seeing something like this flourishing in Kansas, the state of corn and soy. And here we are uh, finding a great deal of, you know, excitement around local food and and a local economy around food and farming. It's good news for him and for us. So how did you start it? What's involved in starting a chapter? We just, um, a few of us, uh, we had shared our names and numbers. We, we uh, held a meeting in the back of a pretty dingy bar. There wasn't an artisan beer in sight. It was not not your typical slow money venue, but it was it was a good meeting. We got to know each other. We decided that definitely our interest was to start a network. And so we uh, notified the folks, well, notified Woody and, and just uh, called a meeting. And so we uh, met once a month for about a year and that every meeting was a little bit larger. And we culminated that year with um, Entrepreneur Showcase. And that's that's kind of a very, that's a highlight of a slow money year for us at least. We find five or six uh, farmers, ranchers, bakers, restaurateurs, anyone out there who is working towards sustainable ag, um, healthy practices with the soil, healthy, wholesome local food, and we have them make a pitch, you know, to if they have an, a need, a piece of equipment, or or some some need for expansion. So we we'd have five or six folks make a pitch at our showcase, and we found that to be a very popular very popular event. So we're uh, we've done that now for two years, and and we're in our third year. We're see, our season really we're kicking off with a big event here in September bringing Woody Tash to Lawrence and um, and we'll be meeting through the fall and the winter and have our third showcase in February. This event coming up, is it sort of an introduction to Slow Money or, or what exactly is, is that entail? It's um, meant to introduce our, um, not just Lawrence, but we're hoping for a regional turnout um, to just introduce the general population to Slow Money, to the concept of um, you know, what slow money can do in a community for farmers and entrepreneurs and investors alike, and um, how we build community and build capital for people who need it. And we're really fortunate to have Woody Tash coming, and he was uh, excited about this opportunity to the point where he invited two other speakers. So we have, uh, along with Woody, we have Mary Berry, who is Wendell Berry's daughter, and she, in her own right, is a real thought leader in the in the field of sustainable agriculture and creating kind of rings of farms around communities. She's she's a real powerhouse in the in the sustainable ag community. And then we also have Brian Welch, who uh, is a rancher and an author and an entrepreneur himself. And he's the new founder. Uh, he well, the founder and CEO of a new company called Be the Change Media, which is uh, really global in its scope, although his headquarters is here in Lawrence. But he goes all around the world finding and promoting those companies who are B corporations, so businesses that make it their business to do good while they're doing business. So it's a, it's a great lineup. We're really excited about it and grateful to Woody that he's not just coming to speak to us, but he's bringing these two great friends. It sounds great. So what does it mean to have lots of small local farmers in your food system as opposed to a few large corporate farms? Well, I mean, we have both. And, uh, and I, I want to make sure that, that, you know, I don't want to make it sound like all, all we have are, are little family farms. We have some pretty big conventional farms in, in the area, certainly in Kansas. 
Um, but we have an increasingly uh, visible and viable and really vital community of small family farms and um, food entrepreneurs that ring our city and certainly can't, metropolitan Kansas City has a huge wealth of uh, urban agriculturalists. So I think what the importance of it is they add a real level of resilience to a community. They, um, you know, they not only provide healthy, wholesome food, they provide jobs, they are part of uh, the economic sector, they help money move around from person to person locally, and all the while that's happening, they're also taking care of the earth in our very own community, which is increasingly important and desired. So in terms of soil health and water conservation and, you know, the just the resilience of every community uh, in a kind of ever-changing planet, um, having local farmers who are taking care of the earth and watching how the water is uh, used and what the water quality is and keeping us fed and watered close to home rather than completely dependent on far, far away, um, more industrial uh, food sources. It's, it's very important on lots of levels. And the wonderful thing is that people see it as important now, at least in our county, and I know in Kansas City, um, people want local farms, they want local food. In fact, they demand it. The demand for local food far outstrips what our local farmers are able to provide, which actually comes around to the idea of why slow money is important, because farmers our local small farms uh, need to expand. They need the ability to, to grow more. And oftentimes there isn't the money to get the equipment or to increase the land or buy the seeds, you know, to, to do that growth. So, so it's nice to have slow money there to help, help grow that local farm sector. Because oftentimes a bank doesn't understand what a small farm is doing or, or they just don't have the financial credit or collateral to offer. And slow money doesn't doesn't necessarily, well, it certainly doesn't act like a typical financial institution. Slow money is more about judging the the character of the person and the you know the um, their ability to follow through with a project and and their need um, and the relationship that might transpire. Part of the dynamics of that relationship, I would imagine, that is missing in conventional banking is there is a relationship there. They know the character of the person and they have a vested interest in seeing that they succeed because they they do know them and are in contact with them on an ongoing basis probably, and so they have the ability to connect them with other resources and other people locally that can help them or help answer those hard questions kind of consulting the community kind of creates some consulting because i have a friend that's got a small farm and and uh, he's paid good money to consultants for stuff because it's even if it's expensive to get the consulting it's still a lot cheaper than making huge mistakes that may take you years to figure out what happened right no it creates a great web of uh, well it is it's a network so it, it creates a great culture of caring and supporting, and some of these are folks are young farmers who who need all the caring and support they can get. It's a tough world out there for a new farmer, and um, yeah, the fewer mistakes they can get by with, the the better. And and then you have to think for the person who's doing the investing, you know, what a joy that is to put your money where your mouth is and invest uh, invest what you can close to home in into someone's farm or business that, that matters to you, that improves your community, that that maybe pays you back with a little bit of interest or maybe not. So, you know, maybe some, some lenders just want to be paid back in produce or in meat or in promise of the borrower that they'll, you know, share some of their food with a local food bank. Others others are a little more traditional. They do expect a, some degree of, of interest in return, but usually the terms are very friendly and, and it's important that they're offering these uh, loans to people who might not get a second look from a bank. So I was thinking about something you said a minute ago about 
small agriculture versus large scale agriculture and, and the consideration for caring for the earth. Uh, I think there's a growing awareness of how important that is. And it's interesting that what happens on the small farm and the large farm affects a scope that's far broader than just your local area of Kansas. Because when you're in the conventional farming system where you have a large monoculture and you have to use pesticides and herbicides and stuff just to get bring a crop to market all of those things that you're applying go somewhere and they end up in the rivers they end up in the oceans and it, it really what you do on a small farm or a large farm in kansas that you don't think affects anybody else in the world is affecting the whole ecosystem of the planet and so it's that whole pers whole system's perspective that what you're doing right here now with your farm and I would say with your money, as far as not only in, if you can invest in a slow money loan, that's one thing, but just investing with your dollars. Like, how do I do I spend money on local, locally <laughs> grown produce and meat that is grown and produced by people that actually are caring for the ecosystem locally, which affects the ecosystem globally? So this little slow money loan is actually part of a huge global solution. Well, and it, you know, sometimes it happens, um, you know, in, in big, big moments and in other times it's, it's a little thing that leads to another little thing and something pretty substantial has happened. And I, I can really speak to that through one of our kind of founding members, Rosanna Bauman out of Cedar Valley Farm, was selected to be one of the national presenters at the um, Slow Money National Gathering in Louisville back in 2014. And the project that she pitched was to create a non-GMO feed mill and to, to create a non-GMO non feed hub that would sell grain for those folks raising poultry or you know farm animals who didn't want to feed them GMO seeds. So she, she did such a compelling job at the National Gathering that she won. She was the national winner. And uh, with the $60,000 slow money uh, prize that she received, her family was able to start this non-GMO mill. And uh, now two years later, they not only have that mill up and running, but it is selling regionally. So they are uh, benefiting from uh, pretty nice payback on all of that. And then what has happened additionally, which I think is exciting beyond the money, the uh, farmers around her, their, her conventional neighbors, are knocking at her door asking if they can grow non-GMO grains for her feed hub. So people, farmers, uh, conventional farmers all around her are asking not only to join her in this venture, but to change their practices, which in Kansas, that's a pretty significant shift to get these very traditional farmers to think about changing their habits and growing for a different product and being compensated well for it and, and doing the earth a favor at the same time. So, you know, little things turn into big things with a little bit of time and investment and some hard work too. That's a great example because you've got that whole system's idea virus spreading sort of organically in the in the local sort of relational ecosystem. So they, these guys that would never think about, you know, building a permaculture farm or even an organic vegetable farm are because, hey, it makes more money and it makes practical sense starting to do non-GMO. And then by process of learning to do that, they're getting introduced to these other ideas, which anyone with common sense it makes sense to take care of the soil. It's just that our modern system is so geared to the opposite and just to survive and make a living, you have to do all these conventional methods that are harmful. So it's a beautiful example of, of slow money bringing multiple benefits and stacking functions. And uh, I love that. What are some other examples of people locally that have um, been awarded slow money loans? 
Well, we have a woman, Jacqueline Smith, with Central Grazing Company. She has actually been able to gather up a few slow money loans, both from an out-of-state investor and a few more local. Um, She has a a grass-fed lamb operation that is, uh, she moved to Douglas County just in the last year. And because of the slow money loans, she's been able to grow her flock of sheep substantially partner with other shepherds in the area and is now gone from being kind of a local slash regional producer to um, now becoming on the verge and actually I think now actually a national distribution of her grass-fed lamb. And it was slow money investment that allowed her to um, build her flock up from I think she started with a couple hundred, and now she's up to about 400 sheep and uh, and growing. So she, you know, the, it's slow money is one part of her business, but it's it's a substantial part. And she's uh, she was so excited about it that she's joined our board, and she's one of the real good planners behind this big event coming. And we're we're grateful both for her enthusiasm and for her for her ability to be really businesslike and help us help us pull off a big event. So she doubled her, the size of her flock because of slow money loans? I should be careful to, to uh, I, I, I shouldn't speak numbers that I can't back up for sure. I know that her flock has grown substantially uh, and her connections to other uh, shepherds in the area have increased substantially. She, she is becoming a very significant lamb operation in certainly in Douglas County, but in our region. And, you know, it's through her own hard work for sure, but um, the investment of these folks uh, who trust her to use their money well and, you know, to, to treat her flock well, she, part of her business practice is that she is, uh, has the humane certification and grass-fed standards, so she's looking after her animals, she's looking after her soil, she's in it for the long haul. Uh, so it's exactly the kind of rancher that we love to have in this area because we know she's taking care of the earth as well as the animals. And that's not only tasty, but it's uh, it's incredibly, incredibly long-lasting investment on her part for the betterment of all of us. Well, and that's great to have those examples because someone wanting to start a lamb operation in some other area has a model to look at. And the more we have models for these young people who really do want to be small farm owners and operators, the quicker that learning curve can be. And the more we can learn from each other's mistakes and, uh, you know, move the whole movement forward quicker. So that's that's fantastic. So. Here, here's a big question for you. How did our agricultural system get so divorced from common sense? I suspect everyone has their own, you know, ready-made answer to that, and it's it's never as simple, I think, as we as we say. But you know, I think when we go for expedience, uniformity, efficiency, in you know, in any industry, we're going to lose. Uh, you know, we may have high productivity, but we lose may lose a lot in the translation. And so I think we, you know, in some ways, as we have devalued farming as a noble profession and 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 maybe overvalued, you know, high production, high high yield, low, you know, low human yield. I think we've lost lost most of what we value in our in our farms and in our farm families and our land. But I think I see people are seeing the the science behind that and and the and the sociology behind all of that is really popping up now. We realize both what we've lost culturally and in health and even in our diversity of food. I think that's people are really well aware of that and they're demanding that we change and a lot of our farmers are responding. We know we know here on the ground, we see farmers working their tails off, um, getting back to kind of that small family farm, sustainable practice, even, you know, organic and connected to the community. And so it's, yeah, we've, we've got a long ways to go, but there's certainly, certainly a lot of movement in a, in a good direction these days, I think. 
Absolutely. I mean, and certainly locally, there's there's a lot of awareness of this. Kansas City is a great city for that. But globally, and because of the internet and access to information, we can hear about these stories from all over the country and all over the world. So it really is a growing movement, and it's got energy sort of of its own. It's taken on a life of its own, I guess is a better way of saying that. Um, so can you walk me through briefly what the process is? So say I'm a small farmer or a small food producer of some sort, and I want to go about getting a slow money loan. You mentioned there's a couple of meetings coming up. So what's the process like if I'm that that person? Well, the easiest thing would be to just have uh, go to our website um, and take a look. It's slowmoneynekansas.org. And there we have a list of the events. Again, we have a big event coming up on September 22nd with Woody Tash and these other speakers. But after that, we'll have um, meetings in October, November, December, and January. All of those meetings meant to really cultivate new folks who are interested in either in pitching for a slow money loan or folks who are interested in, in investing in some of our entrepreneurs. So all of these meetings are uh, lined up and on the web and, and that would help a person know when and where to go to get connected with our slow money Northeast Kansas network. But we, you know, we hear from quite a few folks who have good projects that they're wanting to find loans for and we have a growing list of people who would like to make some investments uh, we never promise anything it's all about the lender and the borrower uh you know some kind of magic happening there we can't make the magic happen we just help them meet and hope we do hope to pass on some skills uh, in these meetings help with thinking through financials, thinking through a business plan, thinking through a good strategy for making a powerful and compelling pitch. And, um, you know, and then closer to February, we'll be soliciting um, requests for entrepreneurs and they'll go through an application process. And by February um, 21st, we'll have a nice lineup of entrepreneurs uh, who will make their pitch. And I think we'll have a big audience of friendly folks some of whom are willing investors. So that's kind of what a slow money season looks like. But all of that information is pretty easy to find on easy to find on the website. What I like about what you're saying there is that's that small farmer or person that wants to become a small farmer, there's an educational value in this process where they get to learn about how to pitch, they get to learn about how to create a good business plan. So you're giving them some tools to be successful as well that they may not have. Well, that's our hope. I mean, it's that's the interesting thing about this movement. It's really not all about the money, although, you know, money is is that it's foundational. That's what people, you know, that's what starts the conversation is the need for some kind of capital investment. But really behind that, are people who are trying to learn how to be better farmers, better business people, better friends, you know, better citizens. And so the conversations are really, you know, broad and, and wide. Um, so we do try to teach some presentation skills and some financial skills. We bring people in to help with those, you know, with those tasks. We have on our board, we have uh, some financial professionals and folks who have been in banking. So we, you know, we do try to make sure that we're, you know, accurate in everything we say and do. And again, we don't give financial advice and we don't make any promises of loans happening. But it's amazing what happens when people get to know each other, when they get to go out to a farm and see what someone's doing and um, see what their investment might do for that particular farm. It's oftentimes there's a there's a good and happy ending. And, you know, there's a kind of a movement for relocalization, obviously, of food. But there's some in the transition town movement, for instance, there's relocalization of money. They have their own local currency. The idea being, you know, money is a form of energy. And if you keep it circulating in your local community, that energy is bringing benefit to everyone in that community, as opposed to a few people stockpiling huge amounts of it. A few people in the middle having a little and then a whole bunch of people on the bottom side just struggling to, to survive. So 
this slow money movement sounds like it kind of is participating in creating that that local ecosystem of keeping that energy in in your local area so that's that's i think goes a long way towards the solution you know one of one of the slow money principles that you know maybe seems like a million million years away but it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility but you know what would the world be like if we invested 50% of our assets within 50 miles of where we live or if companies would give away 50% of their profits close close to home or or if uh, farmers committed to 50% more organic matter in in their soil in the next 50 years i mean what if we all committed to to that kind of aggressive amendment of our soil it sounds I don't know to some folks that you know that might sound boring but that that would change the world that would change our climate for the better that would change our economy and our health and our well-being so that's what slow money's about it's a young movement but it's it's making a difference already it's and it's spreading that's the good news it's it's not a fad it's growing and it's, it's growing nationally uh, and even around the world well, you know, it is. It's a very young movement, and you said, you know, there's what five hundred thousand dollars locally that have been loans that have been done, fifty million dollars globally, and you know, in in terms of the global financial system, that's a tiny amount of money. But when you take into consideration, like I say, all the different forms of capital that are being built in the context of the communities and relationships that are being built through these loans, that return is is way higher it's just not quantifiable by wall street terms and so yeah the measure the measurables are not always measurable that you know the money we can track but the the worth of the relationships the worth of of soil that's alive and rich or you know the worth of a you know of a great local salad on your plate versus you know one that came you know, from a thousand miles away is, and the cultural shift, the just the social sense of how important being grounded is again, and literally grounded. I think it's just, it's been a, it's a beautiful thing. It's very um, simple in a way and complicated in other ways, but it's, but it all comes back to some pretty basic stuff. So soil and people and resilience and a lot of, um, you know, willingness to invest both time and money and energy and, frankly, love to make the world a better place. You know, the the there's I'm thinking about the, the in the context of those relationships. You've got social capital. You've got experiential capital that's shared because the lender cares about the borrower and wants to see them succeed. And so the ability for them to connect them with other people and resources for mentoring, you know, consulting, that kind of thing is there. Uh, it's just, but the thing about it is to figure out what's going on in Wall Street, you kind of need a, like a master's degree or PhD because they've intentionally made it complicated so that you don't understand it and you need to hire the experts, quote unquote, to do anything. This kind of thing you know, a really simple person on the ground can see community being built, see relationships flourishing, see soil being built, see, you know, the, the guys that saw the grain hub and thought, hey, that kind of makes sense. Let's do that. You know, it, it doesn't take a Ph.D. to see the, the fruit of this of this type of a movement. And that's the way it should be. It shouldn't you shouldn't take a Ph.D. to know whether something's succeeding or not, you know, because it's you can see the evidence, you can feel the evidence, you can sense the community. And so that's just a huge that's where we're going. That's where we have to go. First of all, awareness, which is a big part of why we do these podcasts is just to build this awareness of of these different dynamics that need to be built beyond just having good, healthy food and taking care of the soil, all of that is critical because it affects the social and economic systems. And so, so yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for what you guys are doing. Well, you know, I think we're coming to about the end of the time we have. Um, is there any final thoughts that you would like to uh, share with us? You know, always um, shameless self-promotion. I, I really hope that um, we can uh, have a lot of folks come to this event uh, on September 22nd. That's a Thursday night. It's uh, uh, All the details are on our website at slowmoneynekansas.org. But it's, 
free and open to the public. We have a really nice venue. There will be a cash bar and lots of good popcorn. And we're having something of kind of a free fair with our, some of our uh, entrepreneurs and good uh, local farm businesses and um showing showing off what they're doing and showing how slow money has helped in their lives and then starting at 7 30 uh woody tash and mary berry and brian welch will be spending some time talking to us and we'll get to ask questions at the end so i think it's going to be a great evening and even an important evening i think regionally these are people with a message that we're hungry to hear. So I really, I hope folks will join us. It should be a great, great night. Well, I'll be there for sure. Great. <laughs> well, well, thanks for taking the time. And uh, we'll follow up on the continuing work of Slow Money Northeast Kansas and, and the results of that work. And so uh, I hope the event's very successful and we have lots of folks there. You have a great day, Nancy. Thank you. Thanks. You too, David. Take care. That was Nancy Thelman of Slow Money Northeast Kansas. You can find out more about her and her organization at slowmoneynekansas.org or by the link in the show notes at thepermaculturepodcast.com. As she mentioned, they have an event coming up on September 22nd at 6.30 p.m. in Lawrence, Kansas, in which Woody Tash, the founder of this idea of slow money, will be a guest speaker, along with Mary Berry of the Berry Center and Brian Welch, CEO of Be The Change Media. Another event coming up that also may be of interest is Prairie Festival 2016. That's September 23rd to the 25th, hosted by the Land Institute. You'll find a link to that also in the show notes. There's a lot that I like about this conversation and what Nancy introduces to us. The way that we can create relationships and develop this human scale of capital where Someone may be investing in our organization, providing a loan that has other requests made to it rather than just a return or interest, but that may involve some kind of volunteer work or donation to other organizations, and that they're really helping to build the entrepreneurial skills that are necessary for those who are involved to find success. When Nancy mentioned that none of their loans had failed, I was interested in the statistics for that. And I went looking and there's some numbers out there that everything all kind of aggregated together, that normal bank loans have a failure rate of greater than 1%. And here's an organization that by stepping back and really developing the people, the skills, and the interactions between them are able to really lower that risk. And this is what I keep hearing from different NGOs that give or loan money, that when people are provided the opportunity, that they do a lot of good with it. And this idea of doing good is also growing within business. That mention of Brian Welch and Be The Change Media, which I'll also include a link to in the show notes, that there's this movement for something known as B Corporations, which kind of blend more traditional corporate structures with the social good that we commonly think of for nonprofit organizations into a for-profit business that's making positive change in the world. And I'm just beginning to learn about these through a friend of mine who's a permaculture practitioner with a background in finance. And a site that I recommend you check out in addition to Be The Change Media is B-Lab at the letter B, corporation.net. There are all kinds of tools and models emerging for permaculture practitioners that mean that we don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's just a matter of knowing about what's going on in the world. And I find that the different slow movements, be they money, food, fashion, or music, are ones that we can easily integrate ourselves with, to partner with, and grow what it is that we're already doing as we continue to move ever further from the landscape and more into our lives and lifestyles. Though I would sometimes like to see a rapid and radical shift for now is kind of a middle road in this period of transition we get to vote with where we spend our money and our resources going to a farmer's market and spending money with your local farmer may not change the carbon output of the food that you're eating but it does have a direct impact on the people who you buy from and there's this idea of externalities which is the impacts that occur beyond 
what might normally be accounted for when we purchase a product or service. Very often these are seen as negative. The damage that is done by a company for things that are unaccounted. But there are also good impacts from the things that we do. And that might be a better place for us to find an intersection between our work as permaculture practitioners and the normal consumptive markets that we're a part of. So why don't we do something good with the choices that we make and support things like grass-fed beef, that local corner store that's been in your community for ages, the clubs and community centers and others that make a place home and unique from somewhere else in the world so that it's not so homogenized with a corporate fast food restaurant and coffee shop on every corner, but rather venues and spaces where when you walk in, you know the person's name, and that every dollar you spend with them supports other local businesses in addition to their own. The world we live in is one that we can't escape. There is no out from this broad global consumer market right now. But while we're in it, we can do things to change it. One way we can do that is by voting with our financial power, and as Nancy said, to get involved with local politics. So let's stay where we are, make good decisions, connect with organizations such as Slow Money Northeast Kansas and the people who are there, like Nancy, and build quality relationships with others so that every choice that we make has a lasting impact. And along the way, if there's any way that I can help connect you to the people or resources that you need to grow your work, your dreams, and your projects, get in touch. Give me a call, 717-827-6266, email show at thepermaculturepodcast.com, or drop something in the post, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. As this episode comes out, I am still working on the summer to fall fundraiser. We're about $1,500 away from meeting our goal. And that campaign ends September 30th. I don't know when you'll get this, but if you get it before then, please consider making a contribution using the paypal.me link in the show notes. You can send something directly to the show email address, again via PayPal, or drop something in the post at that mailing address. From here, I gotta dig through everything that I've got recorded and see what's coming next. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what the next episode will be, but that'll be out in a few days. And then after that will be the six-year anniversary show in early October, which kind of lays out where things will be going in the seventh year for the podcast. For those of you who supported the Possibility Handbook, real quick update. I'm in the middle of transcribing over 16 and a half hours of notes from Ethan, and I'll be getting some of those rewards to you here in the next couple of weeks as well. So you can begin reading what Ethan shared with me on that visit to the Possibility Alliance. While we live our lives, spend each day creating the world that you want to live in by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.